0: A few years ago Lachlan was playing cricket and uh, the fastest bowler on the opposing team decided to bowl in some bounces. That's uh, when the ball hits halfway down the pitch and comes towards your head. Uh, The first one hit Lachlan. The second one whizzed past his head and and shook him up a little. Uh, The third one, Lachlan edged and was caught. Caught behind. I was disappointed. Lachlan was okay. Uh, It was a learning experience. Uh, later that day he came into bat again. In between overs I noticed the opposition coach take a water bottle out to their fast bowler who was fielding down near the boundary, uh, the one who'd got Lachlan out earlier and uh, he had a few words with him. Next over he came on to bowl and started bowling bounces again. Lachlan coped much better and ended up hitting a few boundaries but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story was my reaction to that coach. By this stage I was fuming. (laughs) Uh, On one hand I was very proud of him, how well he was coping uh, with this good bowler, but on the other hand I was upset. First at the coach and the rest of the team, they were picking on my boy. Uh, I wanted to defend him and protect him. This wasn't the way things were supposed to be. I wanted to go over to their coach, give him a piece of my mind, have a word to the fast bowler while I was at it, Uh, Lachlan was very glad I didn't. Uh, And I want to suggest that, just a little bit, Jesus is in a similar situation. Uh, As he looks on uh, at his children out on the field, at the fallen and broken world that we're part of. Uh, He's not powerless like me, of course. He's the king and he is at work. But nevertheless, Jesus sees our struggles. He sees that sometimes we get hit, Sometimes we hit a boundary. Uh, He's proud of our achievements. But also, he wants to jump in and fix things. He wants to make things right. He wants to stand up for us. And that's what will happen when Jesus returns. That's what we're thinking about today, the second coming of Jesus, the day when God will bring this world as we know it to an end. The suffering, the pain, the sin... Everyone will be called to account, every knee will bow and Jesus will finally and completely reign as King. In particular, we're going to think about it from Jesus' point of view. Uh, Mostly from 2 Thessalonians 1, six reasons why Jesus looks forward to his return. Now the first reason is relationship. Jesus looks forward to his return because it will mean a new depth of relationship with his people. Uh, John chapter 17, Jesus prays for all Christians. Uh, in verse 13 he prays to his heavenly Father and he says, I'm coming to you now that I say these things while I'm still in the world. And then in verse 24 he says, Father I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory You've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus wants to be with his people. He wants them to be with him. He wants them to experience the glory of his character and power, the intimacy of a relationship with him in a way that they've never been able to on earth. We get a taste of it now because Jesus lives in us by his Holy Spirit. But it's going to be so much better then. And Jesus knows it. And he wants us there with him. We don't normally think about this from Jesus' point of view, but I think Jesus is looking forward to it. Listen to what some other parts of the Bible say about that day. Uh, of course, there's, there are, there's lots that we're not sure about. How we'll be resurrected, when and how judgment will happen and, and where we'll live. But what's emphasised again and again as we look at all the passages is that through it all, despite it all, what the number one truth is that we will be with Jesus. We'll be with Jesus. Uh, one Thessalonians one Thessalonians four seventeen says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore encourage each other with these words. Probably lots of questions we've got about other parts of those verses but the one thing that's clear is that we will be with the Lord forever. Wonderful. Uh, chapter 5 verse 10. Uh, a few uh, verses on, we read, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep when he returns, we may live together with him. That's the number one truth. Or if we turn to the book of Revelation, it uses the image of a groom and a bride to talk about the intimate the close relationship that we will share with Jesus when he returns. There's no closer earthly relationship to use as a picture than that of a groom and a bride. Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city of the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Back in chapter 19 we find out that the husband is Jesus. And I had a, heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So first thing we can see, Jesus looks forward to his return because of a new depth of relationship with his people. Uh, second reason is reward. Those who live serving Jesus now will be rewarded when he returns. Uh, Matthew 25, it's the parable of the talents uh, and Jesus says to each of the servants who've worked faithfully, Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And listen to these words. Come and share your master's happiness. Uh, Eternity will be reward for faithful service here and Jesus will be happy about it and he wants us to share the joy that he's going to experience. Uh, Luke 12.37 adds a, a different idea to this sort of reward. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. What is going on there? We expect to hear uh, we will get to heaven and we'll get to serve Jesus. But that's not what it seems. Uh, Jesus will come and serve us. He's looking forward to serving us as the servant king, as reward for service now. Uh, Third, repayment. Uh, Jesus looks forward to his return because it will be a time of repayment, of justice, of setting wrongs right. At the moment there's plenty wrong with the world. We don't have to look far outside our church at some of the sicknesses and the struggles people are going through. But North Korea uh, is the worst country on earth to be a Christian. Uh, In North Korea to own a Bible is punishable by death. It's estimated that 25% of the Christian population of North Korea are in prison camps. Uh, 2018 has seen an increase in persecution of Christians in China. Churches closed, foreign workers expelled, greater conformity enforced. Local Christians are punished and imprisoned. Similar things are happening to Christians in Iraq and Sudan and Egypt and Indonesia at the hands of Muslims. Uh, Radical Hinduism in India is violently attacking and imprisoning Christians, burning churches, uh, all while uh, officials turn a blind eye. Persecution is the worst for Christians it's ever been. One recent estimate was that 70 million Christians have been martyred and 45 million of them in the last hundred years. More Christians have been killed in the last hundred years than the previous 19 centuries combined. That's terrible. And it's not right, and we want it to stop. Jesus wants it to stop, and one day he will stop it. He will bring justice. He won't let evil men get away with evil forever. 2 Thessalonians 1, the passage Rach read for us earlier. Paul's comforting a persecuted church. And he says in verse 4, Therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you. When you've been the victim of violence and evil and injustice, what you long for is justice. You long for things to be put right. And that's exactly the comfort these words bring. It's exactly what Jesus will do. And no one will escape. Bribes won't work. No matter how privileged or wealthy you are, there will be no escaping. It won't matter how well you hide the evidence. It won't matter how good your lawyer is. You will get exactly what you deserve. There will be perfect repayment for injustice and evil. Verse 8, Paul continues, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the majesty of his power. Notice it's not just those who kill Christians who will receive justice. Because of course there's more to sin than that. The ultimate sin is Ignoring God, living your life as if he doesn't exist. There will be punishment for those who don't know God. Now that's more than just not knowing about him, it's meaning not knowing him, not having a relationship with him. And what that means is explained in the next phrase. Those who don't know God are those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus because God has revealed himself in Jesus. He sent him to live and die a criminal's death, to win our freedom and forgiveness and restore us to God. And so to reject Jesus is to reject God himself. And when someone makes that choice, when they say, I'm not interested in Jesus, I don't want him to be part of my life, then God gives them what they want. He gives them eternity without him. Justice means being shut out from God's presence and the majesty of his power. Uh, It's the third reason Jesus looks forward to his return. Uh, Repayment. Uh, Side by side with repayment of evil is the flip side of that. Uh, It's also justice, it's relief for the godly there in verse 7. you will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Jesus longs to relieve the suffering of his children, his people. We saw it in the story of Lazarus a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at death. Jesus saw the weeping of Mary and the crowd and he wept and he did something about it. He, he relieved suffering. A number of years ago at uh, my previous church, the elders and I were praying with Diane. She was pregnant. She had terrible gallstone attacks. Because of the pregnancy she couldn't be operated on to remove the gallstones. She couldn't even take the strong painkillers that would help. She was in awful pain. Uh, We anointed her with oil and we prayed for God's healing. And God graciously, Jesus graciously, relieved her pain and suffering. She had no more attacks. After daily attacks, she didn't have one more attack until the birth. Uh, A few weeks later, Diane said to us, Why did we take so long to do this? Why didn't we do this sooner? But there's another sort of relief that God gives as well. During that prayer time, Di's husband, Dean, also prayed for Di's mum, Jam. Jam was a Christian. A few years earlier she'd suffered a brain aneurysm and was now completely incapacitated in her 50s in a nursing home. She needed relief. And Dean prayed while we prayed for Diane, uh, something that I guess... He and Diane had prayed plenty of times over the previous years that God would relieve uh, dive mum's suffering, that he would take her home. And God did that a couple of years later as well. He relieved Jan's suffering. And Jesus longs to relieve the suffering of his people. It's something he does every day when he answers prayer, when we're suffering and we ask for God. To answer our prayers, Jesus relieves suffering. Sometimes he does it through healing, sometimes he does something else, sometimes he calls somebody home to relieve suffering when they die. But it's also something that he will finally and definitively and completely do when he returns. He will relieve the suffering of all his people completely and permanently. That's the fourth reason Jesus looks forward to his return, to relieve the suffering of his people. The fifth reason is right there in the same verse, Revelation, verse 7. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you, give relief to you who are troubled, to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. At the moment, some people recognise Jesus Others ignore him. He's not obvious. Uh, People treat him as if he doesn't exist or perhaps uh, they don't believe he even exists. Uh, But when Jesus returns there will be no debate. The debate will be over. He will be revealed in his ultimate power, his undiluted power, and every knee, willingly or unwillingly, will bow everyone will be forced to acknowledge that Jesus is King, acknowledge his right to judge, his right to determine who lives and who doesn't, acknowledge that he is God who died to save them, that he deserves their obedience and their allegiance. The whole world, living and dead, young and old, black, white, yellow, first, second or third world, Kings, presidents, prime ministers, dictators, chief executives, the unemployed, Olympic athlete or cripple, Muslim, Buddhist, Jew, Christian, atheist, no one will be able to deny it. Every eye will see. It's the picture, it's the picture of Revelation 5.13. Then I heard every preacher in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. That's the fifth reason Jesus will be revealed. The sixth reason Jesus looks forward to his return is that it will be a time of restoration when everything will be returned, Uh, not just back to the way it was but to the way it should always have been, better than it ever was. It's part of what it means for suffering to be relieved. uh, relieved. Romans 8 is a great place to think about that. We read about how the world at the moment is groaning and frustrated and broken and ruined. We see pollution and earthquakes and cancer and divorce and murder, a hundred other terrible things. But when Jesus ends, he will end the pain and restore. He'll restore us. And then he'll restore the world so that it will suit a new restored people. It'll be the fitting place for a restored people to live for eternity. It'll be the ultimate extreme makeover, the ultimate renovation rescue. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. A hope that Jesus will restore everything, creation and us, fresh and new and perfect. That's the sixth reason Jesus can't wait for his return. So what do we do with all of that? What does the certainty of Jesus' second coming mean for life today, for the rest of this week? Well, let's finish with Paul's prayer in verse 11. What he doesn't want is that his readers become so focused on the future that they're no earthly use now. He wants Christians who are active and faithful and Christ-like now as they wait for that day. As Merrick said, you don't want to wait and have nothing to do, do you? Be useful now. Verse 11, with this in mind, all these truths about Jesus' return, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may may fulfil every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. In other words, since the future of God's world is that Jesus is coming back, and this the future world is going to be like that, restored and refreshed, since that's the case, may you be counted worthy of that future. May you live up to what that future is like. May you get ready for it. May your life preempt that. May the character of your life be such that people see in it a reflection of what that day will be like. May your life bring the realities of eternity into Ashfield, into your street, so that we may be worthy of that day. Live now with Jesus as your powerful, ruling, restoring, loving, just King in every area of thought and word and action because that's what will happen when he returns. So get in early and do it trusting in the strength that God gives as you work out what his purposes are for your life. We are simply to trust. God is the one who gives the strength as we trust him. What does strength look like? in the face of the broken world we live in? Well, it looks like courage. It looks like generosity. It looks like goodness and patience and hope and compassion and perseverance. Do you see it there in verse 11? By his power he may fulfil every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Your faith in his power achieves his good purposes. So let that day influence how you live today. Be people who are growing in your relationship with Jesus. Deepen your friendship now as an entree to the complete relationship you will have then. Work for Jesus' reward today. Don't be distracted by the shiny, deceptive rewards of this life. Money, success, fame, they'll mean nothing. Build the priorities of eternity into today. Christ's reward is what counts. And work at bringing justice today. And warn people about the repayment that's hanging over their heads if they ignore God. Reveal the majesty of Jesus in your words and your actions and look to relieve the suffering of God's people. Be generous and compassionate. Restore where you can and do it all longing for the perfect relief and suffering that that day will bring. Jesus can't wait for his return. What about you? What's your attitude? Well, on the very last page of the Bible, we read this promise from Jesus to his people. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the writer John sighs, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to live as people who are waiting expectantly, faithfully, hopefully, joyfully for Jesus to return. Amen.